Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Amen. Well, good morning. It is good to see you today. My name is Chaplain Dan Braswell. I'm the chaplain for uh, HHBN 25th ID. It's good to see you. Welcome back for those of you who've been out in the field and all that kind of stuff. How many of you had a role in JPMRC, whether you're good guys, bad, blue, red, white cell, whatever? Yep, a bunch of people. Glad you're back. Glad to be, glad to have you back. Last week we started a sermon series. It's going to be a short sermon series called uh, Parties uh, Worth Throwing. And Chaplain Jeremiah Verdon kicked us off with looking at Passover. If you have your Bibles, I hope that you do. I invite you to go ahead and turn first to Leviticus chapter 23. We're going to be looking at the Old Testament festival of first fruits. While you're doing that, let me say this. We titled this series, Parties Worth Throwing, mainly to get your attention. What we really want you to understand is that God, all the way from the Old Testament, laid out, as Jeremiah, I'm sure, explained very well last week, these festivals for the purpose of reminding God's people what God has done for them and to remind us each and every day it is a cause for celebration. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, we're going to read Leviticus in just a moment, and we're going to make a beeline to the New Testament. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15, which uh, Joshua had already read a little bit for us, and we're going to look at some results of the resurrection when we think about, when we think about the first fruits. So look at Leviticus 23. I want to give you a little background on, on this Old Testament festival called the First Fruits, and then we'll see how it ties to the New Testament. So follow along as you as you um, as you look in your Bible and follow along with me. And it says this: It says, "And the Lord uh, spoke to Moses, saying, I speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, uh, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf. Here it is of the first fruits of your harvest to the priests." And verse 11, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And on the day when you shall wave the sheaf, you shall offer a male lamb, a year old without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the grain offering with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah, a fine flour mixed with oil, a food offering to the Lord with a pleasing aroma, and the drink offering with it shall be of wine, a fourth of a hen, Verse 14, and you shall eat neither bread nor grain, parched or fresh, until the same day, until you have brought forth the offering of your God. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. The festival of first fruits. Here's how that went. On the 14th day of the month that they did Passover, on day 14, the priests would sacrifice the lambs. And the first day of Passover was the 15th. Now, the Feast of First Fruits was celebrated the third day, the 16th. This third day celebration, does that sound like something you've read somewhere in the, in the Bible before? 14, 15, 16, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, death, burial, and resurrection, right? That's what I want you to see here. This third day celebration was the same day that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. In just a minute, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul refers to Jesus very specifically as the first fruits. He represents the first of the great harvest of souls, including you and including me, that will resurrect to eternal life. 
The name indicates it, right? And we just said it a minute ago. First fruits marked thanksgiving to God for the first fruits of the harvest. In this case, in the Old Testament, the grain and cereal harvested in the spring around that time uh, in, in ancient Palestine. God's people had to have faith, right, that God was going to provide this harvest. And the idea of first fruits was that God, we were giving thanks for what God had done. In a minute, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15. I want you to see that in the New Testament, the first fruits of an even greater harvest was issued. Very similarly to, right, what, what did you study about last week? The Passover lamb in the Old Testament referred to what? The greater Passover lamb, the ultimate sacrifice slain before the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ. In the same way, as they were celebrating the first fruits and what God had done for them in the Old Testament, you and I celebrate the first fruits of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to be looking at today. The concept of first fruits, if you do a Google search or you search it uh, any kind of way you want, just look up first fruits. It's throughout the Bible uh, in different ways. It's, it's referred to several times with different sort, sort of uh, agriculture terms, crops that are harvested and those, and those kind of things. Israel in the Old Testament at one point was called the first fruits of God's harvest. In the New Testament, Paul refers to believers as, as first fruits of his harvest. Jesus is the first fruit. What we want to see now is, here's the so what. The first fruit of the Old Testament points to the resurrection of Jesus of the New Testament. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. And this is going to be our main passage. And I want to answer this question. What are the results of the, of the first fruits of the resurrection? What are the results of, of the resurrection? And I'm going to share six of them with you. Uh, this morning. I, I didn't put it in the bulletin. I didn't put it on the screen. But as I go through, go through these results of the resurrection, I'll share them with you and you can still write them down in your bulletin or however uh, some of you who take notes. So go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians uh, 15 and we're going to look at just verses right now. We're going to look at verses uh, 20 through 24 in 1 Corinthians 15. And we'll keep your place there because that's where we're going to be the rest of the morning. So let me begin in verse number 20 in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this. This is Paul talking. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. The results of the resurrection. We're going to see six of them today. I want to share them with you now. First one is this. The first, the first result of the resurrection, point number one, death has been destroyed. Death has been destroyed. We just read about that in verses 20 through 23, but I want, to sh I want you to backtrack just a little bit. Paul had some people in, the new, in, in his day, as he wrote this letter to Corinth, who were saying there was no resurrection of the body. In other words, they were saying when human beings die, they're, they're not going to be raised. Well, you and I know from the New Testament that's not the case. Uh, Paul clearly says we're going we're gonna to be raised and death has been destroyed. But look at verses when you read through verses uh, about 13 through 19 in 1 Corinthians 15, there's several if statements that he makes, and he's making the point of 
if there's no resurrection of Jesus, there's no resurrection of anybody. But he's saying that to say, because there's a resurrection of Christ, there is, there is a resurrection of all, and that Christ defeated death. He says, and we won't read them all, but just you can follow along with me if you see it there. Verse 13, he says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. Well, we know that's not true because Paul's already said, and the Bible teaches us Jesus rose from the dead. If Christ is not raised, our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. In other words, why would we worship someone who's still dead? We don't. We serve a risen Savior. He says in verse uh, 16, he says, If the dead are not raised, not Christ has been raised. If Christ, verse 17, has not been raised, you're still, you're still in your sins. And in verse 19, he says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. The first point of the resurrection is that, is that because of the resurrection, Jesus destroyed death. Death is our enemy. We spend billions and billions of dollars trying to keep ourselves alive. We, we, death is, is something that we're all too familiar with. Death is not natural in many ways. I've done, as a pastor, a lot of funerals. Um, I think the oldest individual's funeral I ever did was, I think, about 97 years old, if I remember right. And I've done them as young as, as, young as babies. There's no such thing as an easy one, is there? When you care about someone, there's, there's, no, there's, no, such, there's no such thing. John talked about it in the book of Revelation uh, when he said in, in Revelation 6, he said, I looked and behold a pale horse and the rider who sat on its name was death and hell followed with him. There's no, there's no easy death. Many of you have dealt with loss. Many of you have dealt with death. Christ, resurrection, here's the deal. It conquered death. It conquered death. He is a defeated foe, number one. Number two, because of the resurrection, point number two, there is hope of a reunion with loved ones who have gone on before. There's hope of a reunion with those who have trusted Christ as their Savior. There's hope of a reunion for those who we have, we have lost. Notice we read this earlier, but in verses 21 and 22, he he, he makes the comparison of, of Adam and Jesus Christ. He says, he says that Jesus is, is sort of the last Adam. He says the first Adam brought death. The second Adam brought life. The first Adam brought sin, but the second Adam brought salvation. The first Adam brought separation, and the second Adam brought reconciliation. There's hope of a reunion Paul says that those who went on before us, we'll, we'll, we'll see them again. Some of y'all may wear a wristband in memory of someone, a battle buddy that you lost in combat. Some of us, during COVID, I remember many, many soldiers. We arrived here in July of 2020, and I knew many soldiers who, they had loved ones on the mainland who died, and guess what? They were not even able to go to see them at their funerals. Did any of y'all remember things like that or even experience some of that? That's tough. There are many of y'all in this room, I would imagine, who had a death in your family during a combat deployment that you could not get home from. If there's no resurrection, we are of all people most to be pitied because there's not a lot of hope. But I'm here to tell you today that the first fruit and the celebration is this. Because of the resurrection, we can be reunited 
with the loved ones who have gone before. That's good news, folks. That's a game changer. That's enough right there. Just that point's enough to celebrate for the rest of all eternity. That this is not the end. Because of the first fruit of the resurrection, we're going to have a reunion with our loved ones. You, I say this out loud, and probably some of us have people in our minds, boy, I sure do miss, fill in the blank. <laughs> this is not the end. The first fruit gives us hope that we will see our loved ones again. Point number three. Because of the resurrection, point number three is this. The down payment has already been paid. If you're writing down, I'll say it again. The down payment has already been paid. Now, we won't turn back there, but when we read about the first fruits in Leviticus, it simply says you will bring the sheaf, you'll bring the first fruit of your harvest to the priest. The idea was that was the initial installment. Does that make sense? Have any of y'all ever bought anything on credit? You make your initial installment. That's the down payment. It's like, you're in now, buddy. You're, you're, you're in. You're going to put that 20% down or whatever. Like, you're in now. You're, there's, no, there's no turning back, especially if you buy a timeshare. Don't do that. But that's just free chicken for you. But you're in because you put the down payment down. Okay? That was the first installment of the harvest. The idea is the same here. Christ's resurrection certifies that dead believers will be raised later. Now I want to show you this in another passage of Scripture. So turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, or excuse me, chapter 4. And I want to show you this in another place that Paul mentions it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter, chapter 4, in verse 13, look at what he says. He says, I do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, this is 1 Thessalonians 4, about those who are asleep so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Verse 14, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. In other words, those who have already gone on will live. Then we declare to you by word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who fall fallen asleep. Look at verse 16. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry, with the sound of the trumpet of God and the voice of an archangel, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive will be left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and will always be with the Lord. Therefore, what does he say? Comfort one another with these words. The down payment has already been paid. Christ's resurrection is the down payment. It's the preview, it's the first installment, it's the beginning of the general resurrection. We all died in Adam because of our sin. Now in Christ we're made alive. And by the way, that is not a blanket statement for every human being on this earth, isn't it? Is it? When you throw a celebration or you throw a party and you send out that email, sometimes what does it require? An RSVP. What does that mean? I can't even remember what that stands for, to be honest with you. I'll be honest. But I know what I'm supposed to do. They're basically saying, if you're coming to this thing, you need to let me know. That's what that means. This invitation, this celebration, is by invitation only. This celebration is for those who have trusted Christ as their Savior. You cannot hear about the resurrection and simply look at the resurrected Lord and say, cool story, bro. 
Jesus was alive. No. This resurrection, the fact that the God of the universe became man and died on a cross and three days later rose again, that demands a response. You either have to reject it or you have to accept him for who he is. He has made the down payment. That's one of the results of the resurrection. Point number four. Point number four is this. Because of the resurrection, we will be raised just like Christ. We will be raised just like Christ. I want you to go back. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15 and let me show you a couple of more verses. Look, go back to 1 Corinthians 15 and look at verse number 35. Paul's anticipating these questions people may have. He says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And then Paul says, you foolish person, when you sow does not, uh, what you sow does not come to life until it dies. Verse 37, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed his own body. Paul is making the point that we, because of the resurrection, point number four is we will be raised as well, just like Christ. We just read about that where it says we'll be caught up uh, in the air. We'll be raised just like Christ with, with, a, with a real body. That, it, that that is going to be the reality. I was, I was, when I was looking at this, I ran across uh, this. The Egyptians believed in a resurrection. Their, their hope and their, their thought of, well, hopefully there is a resurrection of the dead. It led them uh, to call the mummy case the, the chest of the living. And inside that, they would place a scarab beetle in the corpse's heart. You know why they did that? They knew the scarab's larva buried in itself in the earth would later emerge as a mature insect. So they hoped that this little bug they would bury as, it, as the larva grew, that sort of helped them think, well, I hope there's a resurrection, was the thought behind that. The great Socrates, that great philosopher on his deathbed, it was said that someone asked him, uh, shall, we, shall we live again? He replied, the great Socrates in all his wisdom Will we live again? He said, I hope so. I hope so. There's a lot of religions and a lot of faith groups out there. When you ask them, will you, will you live again? They say, I hope so. But the type of hope that Paul is talking about in this passage and the type of hope that you and I can celebrate is not that kind of hope. It's more the, the down payment has been paid. It is a guarantee. It is a done deal. It is simply a matter of time. We will be raised just like Christ. That's worth celebrating. Point number five. Point number five. The resurrection, one of the results, is this. The kingdom will come and Christ will reign. The kingdom will come and Christ will reign. Look at verses 24 through 28 one more time. I want to show you a little bit more about this. We haven't read all this yet. Look at verse 25 in 1 Corinthians 15. He must reign, that is Jesus, until he has put all his enemies under his feet. We say in the, in the army sometimes winning matters. Well, here's, here's winning personified right here. He puts all his enemies under his feet. Verse 26, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in his subjection, it is plain that he is expected 
who put all things in subjection under him. Verse 28, when all things are subjected to him, the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him. That is, that is the Lord, the Father, that God may be all in all. There's going to come a day when God's going to make all things new. You and I live in a world, in fact, we have jobs in the line of work that we do because we live in a world that constantly is trying to answer the question, who's going to have all the power? You and I have job security because we live in an evil world where, where, where men and women are going to sometimes do evil things. And for centuries, we've been trying to figure that out. We've tried to figure it out through legislation. We've tried to figure it out through different types of government. We've tried to figure it out through different systems and philosophies and all those kinds of things. But I'm going to tell you this. One of the first fruits of the resurrection is that when all is said and done, you and I can take a deep breath in the middle of our stressful lives, in the middle of this crazy stressful world when we see all this evil that goes on, and we can take a deep breath and say, you know what, when it's all said and done, one of the guarantees of the resurrection is God's going to, Christ is going to come and God's going to reign, and there's not a thing that can stop it. It is simply a matter of time. There's coming a day when the Son of Man is going to make all things new. That's true for the big picture. That's also true for your individual life and my individual life, which, by the way, God cares about every detail of. God's got it in control, and he's going to make all things new. The last point, which I think is my favorite point. Point number six is this. Because of the resurrection, we can faithfully live out our service to the Lord. The so what of all this, the so what of saying death is defeated, the so what of saying, yay, I'm going to see my loved ones again, the so what behind the down payment's been paid, the so, much, the so what about we're going to be raised, the so what about God's going to come, the so what is when we leave this chapel today, we can faithfully live out this Christian life because of the resurrection. Now, go down to the end of the, of the, of the chapter in 1 Corinthians 15. I need to show you this because it's, it's that exciting. I want to start in verse number 50. I want you to see what he says about this resurrection. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of God, nor does perishable inherit the imperishable. Look at 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Look down at verse 54 and 55. He says, death has been swallowed up in victory. He says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But watch this, verse 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And now the so what? Look at verse number 58. Therefore... You ever reading the Bible, you ever heard somebody say, you see a therefore, find out what it's there for. We know why. We've been talking about it. It's the resurrection. But here's the therefore. My beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The so what is you and I 
are commanded by God, but we're also empowered through His Holy Spirit to live out this life of faith. And each and every day as you serve the Lord, each and every day as you're trying to, in this crazy world, trying to raise your kids under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, each and every day as you're trying to live out your Christian faith as a single soldier, each and every day as you're trying to live out your faith as a husband and a wife, you can do it and it's not in vain because of the resurrection. It makes all the difference in the world. And the reason we know that is because we have a copy of the script and we win. As, as many of you came back from JPMRC, I said, did we win? Did we win? I'm telling you, we can live out our faith for the Lord because we know we're going to win. As we get to the holiday season, there's many of you, I've been looking at it on social media a little bit, and I've had a couple of conversations. Some families have a tradition where you have your favorite Christmas movies. How many of y'all have Christmas movies that, like, I'm going to watch this season? Well, why do you watch those movies and you know what's going to happen? It's just comforting to, to watch the same movie, right? You, you know how it's going to end. How many of you watched that movie Elf with uh, Will Ferrell? <laughs> How do you know whether or not Buddy's going to save Christmas? I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but you can check it out. It's in the script. The classic Christmas Carol, Ebenezer Scrooge. How do we know he's going to find the true meaning of Christmas? It's in the script. How do we know George Bailey's going to learn that his life did matter in a wonder, It's a Wonderful Life? Is that too old for people? Okay, thank you. You should go see that one. That one's great. It's in the script, man. It's in the script. How do we know Linus is going to recite the Christmas story in the Charlie Brown Christmas special and Charlie Brown's going to have that little janky tree and all's going to be right with the world? Spoiler alert. There's a lot of spoiler alerts coming, so I hope I don't ruin anybody's movie watching. It's in the script. How do we know that mean old Grinch is going to, in the end, do the right thing when his heart grows? Why do we know that? It's in the script. Why do we know that Rudolph is going to get to fly the sleigh with his big red nose? It's in the script. Well, let me read you another script, which is better than all those movie scripts. Check this out. Just, just listen. And I saw heaven standing open, and there behold me, before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. It's in the script. I'm just reading the script. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like a blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. It's in the script. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's go. There's your first fruits right there. It's in the script. We win. Christ reigns. And the so what is simple. Therefore, my beloved Schofield Community Chapel, be steadfast, be immovable, abound in the work of the Lord. You know why? God's got it all in control. Your faith is not in vain. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you 
do have all things under control. God, in a world where we see our enemy death all around us, we see tragedy all around us, oh God, I pray that you would comfort those all around the world who are hurting because of the destruction of death and evil. But God, as your people, we, even in the midst of that, we celebrate what you have done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. God, how great you are, the name above all names. And God, may this truth be embedded in our hearts so powerfully and so deeply that as we live out our faith, as we raise our families, as we serve you, God, use your Holy Spirit to keep reminding us, hey, it's not in vain. Just keep serving. It's, it's not in vain. I'm going to take care of things when it's all said and done. It's not in vain. May we hear you and may we celebrate this great truth of the first fruits. And God, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.